This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Broadcasting live on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and in the evenings on WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk. It is the Matt McNeil Show for your Thursday. Good to be with you today. Matt Patrick here. Justin Stoferin is going to join us a little bit later on. He wrote a great article which basically does something which we, we need more people to be able to point out. That the problem with our economy not is not necessarily inflation, although inflation is not the best thing. But it's more monopolies. And we'll we'll talk to him about that because yeah, that this is something that we're gonna have to start addressing because yeah, it's it's not good. He'll join us coming up here in just a little bit. Patrick, how are we today? Doing pretty well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I, I've have you ever played hooky from work, school or anything like that, and then been caught red handed? I actually cannot say I have. Okay, so I have it's a bad feeling. Um, the uh, I was when I was a kid. I was at a diner, and I skipped school one day to go play games or at the uh, uh, at the video game arcade uh, at Southdale when it was there. And I mean, in hindsight being twenty twenty, it wasn't exactly the crime of the century because I should have figured to myself, okay, if I'm a you know an officer looking for kids who are skipping school, you know, in the nineteen eighties, the video arcade would pretty much be the beginning and end of your search. You know, it wasn't like Ferris Bueller where, you know, he's out watching a Cubbies game or something like that. Still one of the greatest movies of all time. But it, it's not like that. But, you know, it's like, oh, here I am playing Galaga. Oh, yeah, 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 I should be at school. It, that, that, you know, called in skip, uh, skip school, called in sick. Decided I was going to spend the day over just, you know, playing video games and that came crashing down. I mean, I got into big trouble for that. Yeah, my dad was one of those people that uh, I am probably sure I would not be alive the next day if I tried anything like that, so I didn't even give it a risk. Uh, do you know Trump's lawyer, Alina Haba? I do. Yeah, she's bad. She is not a good <laughs> lawyer. But, you know, Trump's hired her because she looks pretty. She basically is too stupid to realize she'll never see a dime from him. So, it's you know, it's a match made in heaven. These are just two horrible people, and they're there. So I don't know if you caught this on Monday. She went to the judge because she's her, she's acting as his lawyer in the um, punishment phase of the Gene Carroll trial. On Monday, she goes to the judge and says, my parents have COVID and I have now a fever. So we need to delay the trial. Now, it does sound like there was also a juror who was not feeling that well. So the judge basically granted the reprieve, per se, and said, fine, no problem. Then something pretty funny happened. 
So, and, uh, you know, it's a tizzy Ant has got this uncovered on, on social media. If you want to see this, cause it's, it's hilarious. So at Trump's Tuesday night, New Hampshire celebration party, the sick with COVID Alina Haba, one of Trump's biggest supporters in the state, a guy that was down at the Capitol on January 6th talking about how cops, if they were standing in their way, should just hang themselves. That kind of guy, that level of extreme. He sees Haba, says, hey, let me get a picture, takes a picture, posts it on social media. What In what sounds like a mere matter of minutes later, does anyone with the Trump team apparently come to him and say, hey – you need to take that picture down off of social media immediately. She's not supposed to be here. It doesn't sound like it. It sounds like what they did is, once again, and this is one of Trump's most loyal supporters, a guy that was telling cops to hang him themselves at the Capitol. He basically gets tossed out of the event. He has no idea why. They're not saying anything. But what, as, as everyone knows, once you post something on social media, it's out there, and it's not coming back in. So I don't know what she's definitely going to face some level of punishment, a fine or something of that nature from this judge, because it's very illegal to do that, to basically say, I'm really sick, cough, cough, cough. And, you know, in the same sense as the same judge basically said, oh, Donald Trump, you can't, you know, you, you he was saying, I need time off to go to my wife's funeral, the funeral for my wife's mother. And he was saying, well, your schedule says you're going to be at a campaign rally tonight. Well, that's be said, that, that's, that's irrelevant. No, and I, you know, if I'll let you go for the, the funeral, but I won't let you go for anything else. She basically, you can't do this. She can't just go on out there and make up an excuse and, uh, and run away with it. Uh, so expect that to be happening. That's called getting caught red-handed. And by the way, is there, if you want to watch something funny, go to watch the Tizzy Ent video on this. T-I-Z-Z-Y-E-N-T, Tizzy Ent. Go watch the Tizzy Ent video on this because this there, there is this amazing moment when this blindly loyal Trump supporter realizes maybe, just maybe, he's not following the right guy. Maybe, just maybe, he's uh, got the wrong horse in this race. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. am going to... Read to you a story. I saw this yesterday. I nearly fell out of my chair. Because the implications of the story are not just as the story is written by Axios in regards to the consequences of some far right wing states anti abortion zealotry, but it's a mirror into our own country that shows us how indeed ugly this country can be. This is the story, and I want to prepare you. You're going to hear some things here which are just going to, you're going to say, what? Because that's what I did. From Axios, more than 64,500 pregnancies have resulted from rape in the 14 states that banned abortion since Roe v. Wade was overturned with the vast majority occurring in states that don't make exceptions for rape. Researchers estimated the total uh, in a leading medical journal. The project in the JAMA Internal Medicine aimed to shed lights on the frequency of these pregnancies at the time 
when the exception for rape loom large in abortion debates. Because once again, the argument from the white male Republican is rape doesn't happen. These chicks just scream rape and rape doesn't happen. That's what they were saying. Texas said, we're going to make rape not happen. Spoiler alert, I've got some numbers from Texas you're about to hear. Now, I want to step back because this is more than than just this story because we have to come to grips with this number, 64,500. That's 64,500 pregnancies due to rape in the United States of America in a little more than a year and a half. In a little more than 18 months, basically 19 months, in 19 months, there have been 64,500 pregnancies from rape. This is the number from 14 states only. Only 14 states. Not the other 36. 14. And this only is counting the rapes that led to an unwanted pregnancy. That means there's a lot more rapes that are going on that don't lead to a pregnancy. When the Me Too movement started and I started talking to my female friends and I never knew, I never knew, I never knew how bad it was. I never knew how prevalent it was. I had people who are senior executives at companies and corporations, leaders of charitable groups, heads of PTOs who would show me DMs they've got of people sending them incredibly awkward and inappropriate propositions as well as just, you know, porn of themselves naked for some reason. And this was, I I was stunned. I was stunned at the prevalence of this. And they said, you just don't know. And we know some things about the injustices that happen to women in this country because of the, the lack of pay, uh, the lack of the lack of, of seniority. Uh, I, I think we talked about the, the Oscar nominations and Barbie. One of the things they point out is, you know, they, they, this, this mentality of we don't really need to put women on the corporate board. We can just have a few unisex bathrooms and have, a, you know, a token person on the board who's a woman and then see we're we're woke, that sort of thing. And, you know, the reality is, is that we've got a horrible system. But reality is deep down, once you start peeling the layers here. And you realize that in the last 19 months, in 14 states, there have been 64,500 pregnancies resulting from rape in only 14 states, which doesn't, once again, even cover the amount of rapes that are happening in those 14 states, let alone talk about the number of women who are getting raped in the other 36 Holy crap, do we have some reflection we need to do in this country. We need to do some serious reflection in this country because a sane world does not have something like this happen in it. And especially as this is this clearly shows this is a massive problem. And yet when people bring this up when it comes to the abortion debate, what's the white male Republican answer to that question? It doesn't happen. 
14 states, 14 states that do not have abortion rights, and many of them have no exceptions for rape, incest, or the life of the mother. And they think they're Christian because at no point have any of these Republicans, at no point have any of these Republicans come on out with the same tone, harshness, urgency to deal with the rape problem in their states as they do bellowing about how they're pro-life until it comes to executing someone. It's like, murder him! Not once. Have you seen any Republicans saying, you know what? I'm going to make, uh, we're going we're gonna to really crack down on rape in this state. Nope. Nope. Not at all. They're out there still saying, well, the chick should put a, an aspirin between her knees and hold it there. That's what she needs to do. Remember that one? Who was that guy? Wow. Nope. They don't care. And they don't care. I would see this number and I am stunned at the darkness and ugliness that is our country right now. When you look at 14 states in 18 plus months having 64,500 pregnancies due to rape, due to rape happen. And guess what? Nothing is being done. Nothing is being done to address this. We'll take a break. Come back. More on this when I do come back. It's the Matt McNeil Show. It is the Matt McNeil Show on your Thursday, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. I could just be here and be angry as hell for a while uh, about this story. But let me just go through the story here uh, about this. Even states with bans that have exceptions for rape or impose other requirements that make it difficult to access the procedure, rape victims have few options other than self-managed abortions, including by illegal methods or via pills obtained through the mail or traveling out of state to where abortion is legal. As a result, many have to carry a pregnancy to term, the researchers wrote. Using data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the Bureau of Justice Statistics and the FBI, researchers estimated, get ready, this is disturbing. Estimated 519,981 rapes occurred in states with bans. Only the 14 states with bans in 18 months had 519,981 rapes. From July 2022 to the immediate aftermath of Roe being overturned through January 1st, 2024. Adjusting for the fraction of female victims ages 15 to 45 and the cases likely to result in the pregnancy, they were projected that 64,565 pregnancies resulted from rape during the 4 to 18 month various state bans were in effect. Nine out of 10 pregnancies were in states with no exception for rape victims with 45% of those. Nine out of 10 pregnancies were in states with no exception for rape victims. Uh, with with 45% of those in Texas, 26,313. Reminder, Texas said, well, we're going to make you know, rape non-existent. Non-existent to them means 26,313 pregnancies due to rape since July of 2022. That's not zero. That is basically ignoring the rapes. And once again, those are only the rapes that result in a pregnancy by their own numbers here. That's basically about one in eight, 1.85, it looks like. So there was 
eight times more, 8.5 times more rapes in Texas than 26. So you're looking at 200,000 rapes in Texas. That's not zero. And they don't care. The white male Republicans of Texas applaud the rapes because they'd rather do that than actually solve the problem and allow women to have that option for that. And I know you're saying, well, Matt, that's a little harsh, man. No, this is pretty easy because I guarantee you this is about Texas, too. Guarantee you there's no safe social safety net programs to help these women who have been raped so that they have medical care, clothes for the baby, time off, needed help for that, and then the baby then would have medical care afterwards. Nope, they're moochers that need to pay their own way. Just disgusting. Missouri, by the way, which, by the way, don't, don't you know, sell yourself short on Missouri. Missouri is turning into a freaking hellscape. Uh, they're next highest with 5,825 rapes that resulted in a pregnancy. Once again, using that 8.5 number, you're looking at somewhere in the area of, it looks like 60,000 rapes in an 18-month period in the state of Missouri. Idaho and Mississippi had the most pregnancies among the five states with exceptions for rape with about 1,400 each. The Supreme Court's decision to strike down the federal protection of abortion through regulation of the procedure in the states, some of which trigger bans and immediately took effect. Others soon took up anti-abortion legislation. The researchers said there were 10 or few legal abortions a month in states with bans. Even those with exceptions to rape have other restrictions like likely to disqualify victims such as gestational limits or the requirement that the victim must report the rape to law enforcement. A research can contained a lot of statistical assumptions since sexual assaults are hard to measure accurately in surveys. The CDC and Bureau of Justice Statistics data generally don't include the state-level data, so researchers turn to the FBI's most recent uniform crime reports, which do include rape reports to law enforcement, uh, and they've been doing that since 2019. Only 2019, by the way. <laughs> Please. We have the. I mean, I I do not want to bury the lead here. We have a rape problem in this country because once again, that five hundred nineteen thousand nine hundred eighty one rapes that happened in those fourteen states. How many happened in the other thirty six? This is this is one of those stories where you realize when when I have my friends who live in Europe who say I, I can't come to the United States, you you can read you read the story and you know why. Gun violence, rape, you know, harassment by by you know, police and authorities in this country, stuff like that. the open racism bigotry that Trump welcomed back into this country with open arms. You realize that this country, as bright and shiny as it can be, has a really dark and dirty underbelly that we need to address some of these issues right away. And uh, this is by no means trying to ignore or dispel the clear problems this story points out that in states where there is no exceptions that these these women are re-victimized by the white 
male Republican establishment. That the fact that they have been a victim of a rape does not matter to them. As a matter of fact, some of them who claim to be Christian will look at them and tell them that rape was a blessing for you, for God's sakes. But at the same time, you know, as, as we should be addressing that, we need to start taking this problem clearly a lot more seriously. And, you know, I, I, I think maybe the vilification of women to where that if they are, they even report this, you know, the, the, net, the, the tendency seems to be to ignore their, their complaint and, you know, try to make excuses for it. Try to try to make the the simplest of arguments that, oh, that's what she she was. She just changed her mind. She was asking for it. I I don't quite know what I mean. This is one of those stories where you read it and this is just staying with me ever since I read this last night. I just have been kind of in a fog and and, you know, saying, is, I mean, it, it's this bad. And I know there's a lot of women out there who are going to say, yep, Matt, it is. It is. It is this bad. I think that we need to look in the mirror. And I want, if I can talk to the white male Republican establishment, you guys need to, to look in the mirror. This is not a society that is an example. This is not a high bar. This is not anything good. If anything, this is this is a sign this country is failing. That you're not focusing on the fact that there is an insane amount of rapes going on in this country, but only making sure those victims are re-victimized after the fact because they deserved what they got or somehow you want to try to turn this into a blessing. You guys need to really look in the mirror and basically try to figure out what's going on, all right? 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. Come on back. Justin Stauffer and when we do return. Broadcasting in the evening on WCPTA 20 Chicago's Progressive Talk and in the afternoon on AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota, it is the Matt McNeil Show. Joining me right now is Justin Stoferin. He is the uh, an anti-monopoly director for the Minnesota Farmers Union, and he's written a fantastic article that talks a little bit about something we need to be talking more about, which is the fact that the problems with our economy are not necessarily what we think they are. But it's staring us right in the face, and we need to address that. Justin, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Of course. Thanks for having me on, Matt. My pleasure. And by the way, I should mention this is the Minnesota Reformer. You can find this story. I want to start off with something that I've talked about when it comes to the discussion about inflation and the discussion we've had here and something you touch in on the story. I am a business major from William Penn. I had an economy classes, had to take them, and the first thing, one of the things the economist professor told me was you cannot have record profits for corporations and inflations at the same time those two things are incompatible and so if you're having record profits this is not inflation this is just good old-fashioned greed is that a is that a fair assessment from my teacher back then 
I, I, I think so. And I, I, I would take it uh, just one step further in that I think what we're, we're also seeing is, is you're seeing the effects of uh, the extreme concentration in the economy. And so it, it gives firms, you know, if, if there was more competition, less concentration in the economy, they wouldn't necessarily have all of the power that they have to, to raise prices, you know, above and beyond, um, you know, what what maybe they've seen in, in slight increases to, you know, cost of production, mm-hmm. et cetera. We, I, I mean, I, I'm 55. I grew up, I remember the late, late 70s, early 80s when they took on Ma Bell and they shut that down because it was a monopoly. And, and we used to not like monopolies, but is it a better way to say it is that we don't have necessarily traditional monopolies as they were described before, but we've created a monolithic system where monopolies uh, kind of exist by, you know, kind of in this creative way of, of, you know, just not a lot of competition, only two or three businesses out there, and they're working together to make sure that the prices and stuff are being coordinated together? Yeah, I mean, that's something I, I you know, mentioned in, in the piece, in, in sort of the, the section talking about inflation, is that uh, we've had a, a rash of, of court cases uh, just recently that, that seemed to indicate that there's a whole lot of price fixing going on in, in the economy. We had oh, yeah. a uh, you know, a, a lawsuit against uh, egg producers. There's um, the Department of Justice, uh, along with the state of Minnesota and, and a group of other states have, have filed a lawsuit against uh, Agristats, which is a company that collects uh, just massive amounts of data that it's provided to uh, meat packers um, that, that have enabled them to, to raise prices on, on consumers uh, while they're also uh, decreasing the prices that they're paying to farmers. Um, so we're, we're, we're seeing a lot of this coordination. And I think one of the problems isn't so much that we've come to like monopolies. Um, I think it's that uh, we, uh, our, our politics doesn't really focus on these issues the, the, the way it did uh, decades ago. I mm-hmm. think it's one, one of the problems and it's enabled this sort of abandonment of the laws that in many cases we, we still have on the books uh, to protect us from this kind of conduct. You you basically talk about this, you know, in Amazon basically is an, a monopoly. I mean, it, it really is in a lot of different ways a way you could describe it. It is a monopoly. Uh, I'm reading from your article here. Monopolists have been suppressing wages for decades, but the last couple of years has seen a spike in labor activism as workers fight back amidst the backdrop of rising prices and record profits. You talk about that then specifically about Amazon in your article. Yeah. You know, is it just because okay, if you deliver a good enough product, people will ignore the fact that you're basically the sole pro- you know person offering that product? I think it's it's really again I, and and to to sort of the one of the bigger picture themes I, I try to uh, put out in in the article uh, is that I, I think people get this right, mm-hmm. like people understand the impact uh, corporate power is is having on themselves, on their communities. Um, they may not use terms uh, like antitrust uh, or the Sherman Act or, or those sorts of things, right? Uh, but but they, they have a sense that this is what's happening. I think one of the, the big challenges is that there's a disconnect between, yeah, I know I'm getting uh, you know screwed by corporate power and giving folks hope that there's actually something that can be done about it, that none of this is inevitable. That's that's something I, I run into, uh, whether it's, uh, 
you know, you know in, in doing this, this work is that people go, oh, it's, it's great that you're doing this and raising these issues, uh, but there's nothing really we can do about it, right? And I, I think that that's, the, uh, that's part of the narrative I'm hoping to, to change. But I think people uh, have a sense that this is what's happening. The you I find it uh, not a, at all a surprise that you're working with uh, the uh, Minnesota Farmers Union on this one because quite literally I think where you see this most of all is in small town America where not only have corporate agriculture wiped out a lot of the farms in this area and along with it other businesses you get to throw a few WalMarts in there and that takes care of a lot of the community towns as well but. It, it's it's even worse where we have a, a an ag subsidy system which grossly favors the corporate farmer and the wealthiest farmer over the 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 the, the, the smaller farmer and it only compounds i mean really in small town america what you're describing is is kind of screaming at the top of its lungs it's it's just so prevalent there it's it's kind of hard to believe that the people aren't more people aren't upset of it under what they understand, as you say, is they understand it, but I kind of surprised them more people aren't more mad about it. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, some of it is, uh, you know, I've, I've had the, the fortune through my role at Farmers Union to be able to, to have different events and different meetings across the state. And I think what, uh, what's interesting and, you know, with, with a variety of, of either a variety of different members of our organization or just a variety of different people in those communities of all sort of political ideologies and stripes. And I think what's interesting to me is that once you once you start focusing on this issue, that's where people tend to, to coalesce. But again, I think that there's a challenge of that both policymakers and the stories that make headlines um, often are not, uh, you know, focused on on, on these uh, these sorts of issues. And, and one just quick example that, that I think about one of the most momentous things I think, and I'm, I'm biased in this, but that passed this past uh, legislative session, this very historic legislative session, was a new, very strong law on hospital mergers that we at Farmers Union, along with the Nurses Association and SEIU Healthcare, worked to pass, and that helped, I think. Uh, stop the the Sanford Fairview proposed merger, mm-hmm. but that's something that you know some of that merger got headlines for for sure. But I think that uh, the the story of the power of that law hasn't necessarily been told, and that's part of that uh, again that sort of uh, narrative challenge. There is always going to be the pushback too, which is okay. They're successful business. They're offering products people want. You know, and, and, and there's, and here's where the lie, I think the lie comes in. Well, they're, they're, they're offering, they're doing such a, on such a large level, they can offer a lower price. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, it, it's, that's what you run into this argument that, and it's very interesting because if this mentality existed back in 1980, I don't think Ma Bell would have ever been broken up. I think it would have still been one company because the mentality is that, a, a company that controls an, an either the entire market or a very large substantial part of the market is just a sign of success and that if you are looking to take them down a notch, that that's basically you're just against successful business. Yeah, I think that that's almost uh, – I, I think about it almost as an extension of, of sort of this uh, – 
this ideology we've been fed over the last several decades that uh, you know, markets are, are something handed down to us, like by the divine, uh, and, and are like a natural being. And they're not They're You know, I, I always tell our, our, our members and, and other folks, anyone that'll listen to me rant, um, that, you know, markets are, are just simply the, 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 the laws and rules that, uh, we decide to, to pass and enforce or not pass and, and enforce. And so, uh, you know, we can structure, uh, an economy, uh, to, to have competition that's, that doesn't have all this power that's concentrated, uh, which becomes not only a uh, economic issue and has all of these economic harms, some of which I talk about in this article, uh, but is, uh, you know, a real threat to our democracy, right? Because these companies become uh, a form of private governance um, and, and are making, as, as Senator Murphy's quote uh, that I had in, in the story mentions, you know, private companies are making some of the most important decisions in our lives. Mm-hmm. The one of the things which you point out, and, and this is, I think, a part of this, which is fascinating to me. Um, I remember all the brouhaha about the price of eggs. Oh, eggs are this. Joe, Bi- Joe Biden is out there strangling every chicken. You know, one of those things. And the reality is, is we had the egg companies were in cahoots and they were price fixing and, they, you know, and we got them kind of dead to rights. Part of it, I think the problem that we have is when we even when we catch people like this, and it's so blatant and so you know so clear that the punishment for this is just non-existent anymore. That it basically okay, a slap on the wrist, twenty thousand dollars, while they gouge the American public for fifty million dollars. And I and I think that it's it, I, I think we need to start looking at that because is that one way to address this? Is that if there were if we catch them so brazen, so red-handed? doing these things that if we had punishments that were really uh, with some teeth that that might actually curtail it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that there's a there's a challenge of, of punishments, right? And there's also just the challenge that um, because of both the, the lax enforcement, but also sort of radical court interpretation uh, over the last several decades, our, our, our anti-monopoly laws uh, are in many ways just much more difficult to enforce. They've, they've been narrowed. They have this very uh, sort of theoretical focus that's divorced from, you know, what's going on in, in the real world. And um, some of that uh, enforcers themselves can help address, right? The chair of the Federal Trade Commission, Lena Kahn, uh, the, the assistant attorney general over antitrust, Jonathan Cantor, and even attorney general Ellison here in Minnesota are all trying to do that under existing law. But I also think there's there's opportunities to to reform. And to, to me, one of the most exciting things and something we work on at, at uh, Minnesota Farmers Union is that we have state antitrust laws and state yeah. anti-monopoly laws that can be strengthened and improved. And we're you know working with Attorney General Ellison and legislators uh, to make sure that Minnesota has some of those tools so that uh, you know we can take action right here in in the state not have to wait on uh uh, on the feds um for for that kind of action and and we have of course obviously chicago listening in on this as well and i should say you know if you're in illinois there's lawmakers in illinois that are listening to this should they look towards minnesota and what we've done up here and say you know this this is something they should be trying to copy down there absolutely and 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 in fact there's there's stuff that uh that, that we can we can learn uh from them as well i know that uh, the illinois attorney general's office has been beefing up their their antitrust team so so has uh minnesota's um you know that's that's one of the the challenges is just uh, resources so talking to your 
you know, your state legislator about that. Um, I also think just talking to policymakers about this issue, right? This is not something that, uh, you know, when, when I go to talk to, to legislators uh, about antitrust, right? It's not necessarily, uh, you know, I'm not the seventh or eighth uh, conversation they've had on the issue. Uh, but that's that's what needs to change because they don't need to hear that from me. They need to hear that from from people, you know, out in the out in the world facing these these challenges. And again, you don't have to use. And I would encourage, you know, don't go talk to your state legislator about antitrust or that sort of thing. Talk to them about this, you know, the the way that corporate power is impacting uh, your life, and that there are tools that they should seek out at a state level to uh, to to do that. Um, and uh, the Illinois Attorney General has been doing good work. I know that there was uh, just recently a Supreme Court case there uh, clarifying that uh, staffing firms uh, that are, you know, at sort of the heart of the fissured workplace that we face are, are in fact, subject to the state's antitrust laws. So. Mm. Uh, I want to encourage people. I, I've, I will post this out there. I want you to go and, and look at this. It's not the vibes giving us the sour economic mood. It mood. It's the monopolists. Uh, Justin Stoferon, uh, once again, is the author. Justin, uh, great work on this. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the time today and all my best. And, and let's have you back on to talk about this because I think this is going to be a big issue. Okay. I'd love to do that. Thanks so much, Matt. Take care, Justin. Uh, we'll take a break. Come back. It's the Matt McNeil Show. It's the Matt McNeil Show on your Thursday, 952-946-6205. I think that that is such an important and untalked about thing because, once again, all right, so you can't have inflation if companies are having record profits. So if a company is saying it's inflation that's raising the price of, oh, I don't know, eggs, and yet then they come out quarterly saying we made more money in the last quarter, well, that's not inflation. That's greed. That is plain old-fashioned greed. And because we have particularly, and if you look at the numbers, it is particular what Republicans want to believe negative things about Joe Biden. They just want to. That's why it's it's hilarious when, like, the economic numbers came down today. It's hilarious to watch uh, to watch Fox News. Uh, oh, economy's doing great. <laughs> That's like because there's no other way they can spin it. And they try. Oh, they try. It's like, I found this one quote that's down a little bit more than the other ones. That's trouble for Joe Biden. Ah, I see. I see how that goes. Yeah. But that's kind of where they're at. That's the whole deal. So, you know, they, they just don't want positive news. So it's just easy because, you know, it, it you know, just think about the guttural bluntness of when they put the, the stickers on the gas pumps of Joe Biden did this. And at no point did they think to themselves, OK, Joe Biden's the president for the next three years. A, the sticker's not going to be there. And, well, what happens if gas prices drop, which is what happened when that's when all of a sudden these same clowns that put the stickers on the gas pumps went out there frantically. Oh, got to get it off. I don't want to get any credit for low prices. So. You know, that's just it's just they want to believe the negative thing. The reality is the truth is staring us in the face. Small town America. Let me make sure you understand something. Monopolistic tendencies of the large agribusinesses, the hospital community, the retail sector. That's what's wiped you out. That's not that's not a Democratic president or a Republican president. It's not. It's good old fashioned greed. Now, the culpability for the politicians 
is that they basically allow this system to take place. They allow the local town to lose its bank, lose its pharmacy, lose its drugstore, lose its restaurants, lose its grocery store, lose its hardware store. I've seen it first freaking hand in small towns. I have seen it firsthand. They've seen, they sit there and they watch as all the small farmers get put out of business and then have to go work for the large corporate farm. Who about is, the only time they ever pretend to be farmers is when they're doing their annual photo shoot and they all come on out and flannel in this and act like I've been working the back 40. You know, the, the stories across the country of rural hospital after rural hospital after rural hospital closing. Some places you have to drive an hour to try to give birth to a kid. <laughs> Good luck. It's, it's the, 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 the reason why life for so many people is not good. And I'm not going to be the first to say it. It, it. There are some things that are bad. I mean, the economy is doing well. Stock market's doing well. Sure. But when you go out to small town America, I can see why Republicans want to keep these people angry and depressed and not getting any kind of benefit because it's easy to basically point at and saying it's Joe Biden and they all scream. The reality is it's not Joe Biden. It's that wealthy farmer in your community. It's the hospital executive that just closed down your local clinic. It's the Walmart that opened up three towns over and has wiped out every business in your downtown. And, and this is not – I'm not trying to be blithe or, or simplistic here. It, it, this is the problem. And whenever you talk about this, what's the first words out of Republicans' mouth? The Democrats want to punish success. Well, Republicans wanted to punish success when it basically is a monopolistic system, when nobody has any choice. And this consolidation is just going to get worse and worse and worse. And I've actually seen reports where companies will intentionally not buy out a company that's looking to be bought out because they don't want that company off the market. They need another company out there so they can say, well, we're not a monopoly. Even though we control 92% of the market, there's that company over there that controls 8%. See? Competition. That's what they do. I mean, I, I, I don't know how in the world you can look at Amazon as anything but a monopoly. I mean, it's, it's, they, they want to say they're retail. They're not retail like anything we've ever seen. And they've wiped out so many businesses. And they'll keep doing it. And as long as we keep looking at that and saying, well, that's just the way the system is. You don't want to hurt success. You don't want to, you don't want to cripple this. It's just only going to get worse. Go watch. There's a great movie, uh, To Hell or High Water, which uh, Chris Pine, Jeff Bridges, fantastic movie. And I've often said to liberals and progressives, if you want a good movie to understand the frustrations of Republicans in rural America and what drives them to basically continue to vote for people that are not going to help them, watch that movie. Because it feels like – and by the way, and the movie is excellent. If you've not seen it, I think a whole bunch – and didn't Jeff Bridges get nominated for an Oscar? I think – did Chris Pine get maybe not, uh, nominated for an Oscar? It's a very good movie. I, I, I highly recommend that one. The, but it, it's the mentality that there is there – is, you know, there's nothing – there's no help coming for these people. 
And it's a real neat trick that Republicans have pulled off there. The trick the Republicans have pulled off is they're the ones that are preventing the help from getting there. They're doing everything in their power. I mean, let's look at today. Trump today does not want a border solution. There is a bipartisan border border deal that's going to make the border stronger. Same thing Republicans have been screaming at. Why isn't Joe Biden doing more about the border? Well, he did. He decided to do something, worked with the Republicans. They got a bill. Trump does not want this bill passed. He has ordered, ordered the Republican Party to kill it. Not because it's better for America, but because he doesn't want Joe Biden to have a victory on this issue before the election. That is what's the ca- causing your problems. That right there. Republicans. They're the ones that are stopping the competition. They're the ones that are pandering to the, the uber wealthy. They're the ones that are making your life worse. And they've convinced you that it's like, it's not me because I'm just like you. Look, here is my brand new flannel shirt and my belt buckle and my cowboy hat and my jeans. I'm just like you. No, they're not. But they've convinced you they are. And they'll point to the Democrats, especially especially inner city Democrats, and they'll say, it's them over there. No. The call is coming from within your own house. But you just don't want to acknowledge it. Native Roots Radio is up. Excuse me. I'm, I'm up. Hour two coming up in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Chicago. Talk to you tomorrow. Number two of the show. It's Matt and Patrick. Patrick is beautiful. No, no worries. You know why? I, I was just because if you heard the last of the end of the last hour, I basically forgot it was the three o'clock hour, and I was about to send it over to Pilot and his crew. And all of a sudden, like, wait a minute, that's not right. I got to tell you the truth. I have actually said a stations from twenty five years ago. I used to work for Hot one hundred five KZZ. Oh my God, that's not anymore. No, I haven't done that in a while. But I've, <laughs> I've, it's it does happen, man. Radio people, we just kind of get set into things, man. And to be honest, uh, on the production side, we're kind of transitioning over to a little bit of a new uh, a new music playlist. So I forgot that I have moved some buttons around this afternoon. So I just clicked <laughs> the wrong one. Well, it's I very appreciated. You guys do a lot of hard work over there. Uh, you make me look pretty, which is not an easy thing about talk about heavy lifting. Uh, I do appreciate it, but it just it's kind of one of the things where you've been in radio for a long time. It is one of those cases. I want to take a, a quick moment, if I can, uh, to send my best to the family of, of Larry Moon Thompson. Uh, I had the chance to meet him twice. Very nice man. Longtime Twin Cities radio personality for KS95. He died after a battle with MS. The radio station shared the news on social media Thursday, calling for those to share their tributes and memories. Uh, he was 65 years old. He previously co-hosted Afternoons with Stacy Matthews on the Moon and Stacy show from 2002 to 2019. That's when Moon announced he'd be stepping away from the show due to increased complications from MS, a disease he was diagnosed with in 2005. So uh, to everyone over at Hubbard and uh, Stacy, his entire family, all my best over there, a uh, long time and a very good broadcaster. So, uh, and yeah, you can't, you can't argue with numbers. He was fantastic over there. So all my best to everyone over there. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. So I have been, Patrick, I have been very, very supportive of the Postal Service, especially since these DeJoy basically has turned them into a, a, an organization that basically seems to only exist to help out Amazon and UPS deliveries. I mean, it's really bad what they've done out there. But I, before I get to the postal story of today where they're trying to figure out things here, um, I went to the post office today, all right? 
I am mailing a package to a friend. It is an envelope. In this envelope is uh, a calendar, which for some reason got returned to me. Uh, it was a gift I'd sent them. I, it, for some reason, it got returned. I checked the address. I said again. And so I went back and sent it again. <laughs> I go to the counter and the guy says, okay, this is going to cost um, – it's going to cost like six bucks. I said, six dollars. It was, it was like two dollars and fifty cents last time. So, like, you know, oh, is it? Is it flexible? He picks it up. Now, this is a calendar inside. He bends it in half and he says, I'm just seeing if it's flexible. Well, it's flexible now. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's, what are you doing, man? What, what are you doing? Stop that. And, I mean, who would. Uh, I get it. I, you know what? I'm going to go with the stresses of being at the Postal Service today are tough. But, dude, man, right in front of me? Yeah, this is – look, uh, it's, it seems like it's bent. Does it now? Does it? Oh, okay. Thank you. Thanks, Captain Obvious. <laughs> you want to put a drink on that? Use it as a coaster? Then we can get it off in the mail? Thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, I will say this. As much as I, 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 I you know, kind of – criticized there. The reality is that the Postal Service has been absolutely abused by DeJoy uh, and other elements going on here. Uh, there's a story today that talks about delays. We talked about the delays up in Bemidji, which were, sounded like atrocious. I mean, there were some places that were getting mail once a week because the drivers were so overwhelmed with Amazon and UPS packages, and it has to do a lot with the fact that that, that post office serves this huge area. And they were ordered by DeJoy. They had to deliver the private company's packages before they could deliver the mail. Issues affecting mail delivery and poor uh, property conditions were widespread at the United States Postal Service branches in Egan and Apple Valley, according to audit reports released Wednesday by the USPS Office of the Inspector General. Issues were identified at both locations in all five audits, including package scanning, timekeeping and safety, security and maintenance of the properties. Both facilities were inspected in November, amid widespread reports of persistent mail delivery delays in the South Metro, and as a result of the findings, the USPS Office of the Inspector General is launching an investigation in the entire Minnesota-North Dakota postal region. The audits found management of both locations failed to provide adequate oversight, resulting in over 50,000 pieces of delayed mail discovered in a single day in Egan. Wow. And nearly 49,000 pieces of delayed mail found in Apple Valley. Now, I'm going to guess... One of the things that I've, I've heard from people when I've gone to my local post office, and, and for the most part, you know, bendy wendy aside here, uh, they do a fantastic job there. One of the first things they say, and this not only goes for the Hopkins PD, uh, post office, but also the Minnetonka post office, because I go to them occasionally too, they say the same thing. They say, no, there's no mail in this building at the end of the night. Every, every piece of mail that we get in in a given day is gone that night. I'm going to guess that this is part of the problem, is that if you don't get all the mail out in a given day, it starts to back up, and I wonder if that's what you're looking at here. I, that's pure speculation. I don't know why there's 50,000 pieces delayed in a single day in Egan, 29,000 pieces delayed in Apple Valley. In addition, documenting various issues related to mail handling, the audits also detailed concerns about the conditions of the branch buildings a loose railing, missing drywall, unmounted fire extinguishers, other issues were found in the Apple Valley. And again, the exterior column outside the front entrance was damaged at the base, and concrete gaps in the foundation were showing from the exterior. That's not good. 
<laughs> so you got air conditioning year-round in the building. That's what you're saying. Yikes. Uh, the toilet in the men's restroom was inoperable. The women's restroom had damage to the wall tiles, peeling wall paint, and a broken stall door lock. Oh, that's nice. U.S. Representative Angie Craig, a third-term Democrat from the Minnesota 2nd Congressional District, introduced legislation in October aimed at addressing concerns regarding USPS service in the South Metro. In a statement on Wednesday, Craig said she'd been sounding an alarm on unacceptable service from the USPS for over a year. And for over a year, USPS leadership has given my office the runaround saying there's nothing wrong in spite of the thousands of messages I've received from Minnesotans who aren't getting their mail. She said, go get them, uh, Representative Craig. Absolutely. No, it's, it's, it's DeJoy. He's just trash. DeJoy, the postmaster general, is trash. And I, I mean... I think you have a legitimate argument that you could get rid of him. It sounds like, though, on the the the, the board that would need to vote on this is got kind of been jam packed full of Republicans. But I mean, it's the United States Postal Service. I, I would I would fire him just for the fact that if you've gotten yourself, if you've just taken the postal department and you basically said the mail delivery that the U.S. Post Office is paid to do is now the secondary issue that a private company can use and abuse the U.S. Postal Service to deliver their packages cheaply, well, then, yeah. And I've talked about this before. I think DeJoy's, um, the, the original plan was to kill the post office, take the pension that was supposed to go to the postal workers, give it to a handful of millionaires and billionaires, and then divert the mail delivery to private companies. The problem they ran into was private companies very quickly looked and said, there's no way in hell I'm going to deliver mail across, say, the Dakotas. That's so cost ineffective to do that, we're not going to do it. So the United States Postal Service realized they couldn't really do that. And so it seems like DeJoy has settled on this as the latest scheme to basically break the Postal Service is, you know, make it to where the priority now is private companies at the expense of the mail delivery. And think about this is, is that 50,000 letters, that's bills, that's, that's you know, medicine in the mail. That, it's a lot of things people need on a daily basis. And we're getting to the point where I'm concerned. I mean, it's it's... You, You'll have to start factoring in, you know, mailing a letter from Minneapolis to St. Paul. You'd better give it a week because depending on the Amazon and UPS packages, if they have to get those delivered, your your mail is not that important. Well, actually, I don't think Minneapolis-St. Paul is so much more of the problem because I think in the inner cities that they're still running those their delivery services, the Amazon and UPS guys. But it's it, clearly there's a problem in, in the south metro here. Um. She continued, or uh, the today Minnesota will get the truth. I am more determined than ever to get to the bottom of this. It will continue to exercise congressional oversight until the mail is delivered on time and letter carriers' working conditions improve. Um, I I would 100% stand by Angie Craig on this. This is a good issue. I'm surprised that there are not more Republicans that are on board with this too, because this is. This is something that's clearly affecting more rural Republican areas far more than it is affecting the city. And I'm not – this is not by any means brushing away the concerns of the people in Egan, Apple Valley. 
Uh, but at the same time, it is, you know, if you think it's bad here, it's definitely getting worse out there, especially if you're out in an area where the delivery area is, say, 20 miles in each direction. If they're being told, yeah, before you can even deliver one package, you have to deliver the all the mail, all the 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 the, the or all the uh, boxes for Amazon. You know that's the problem that they're having up in Bemidji. When you got to run all the way up, to, I think they they're they're responsible to go well up north. I don't know if International Falls or Warwood takes over it up there, but I know I think a good chunk of Red Lake. I used to work in Bemidji, so it's like I know that that's basically a lot of that is a Washkish and you know Turtle River and stuff like that. That's all them. That's there's a lot of distance. There's a lot of open country out there on those roads. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five nine five two nine four six six two zero five. Once again, my bent package today aside, I'll put it on them and okay, whatever. That that aside, I one hundred percent stand with the postal department. The post not, not to, uh, the postal workers. The postal workers are getting screwed, and their own boss is trying to kill them. And so I, I stand by the postal workers. Make sure you keep that in mind that they are getting worked a lot harder. And they are under a lot more stress than they've ever been, even outside of the holidays. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Let's take a little bit of an early break here. Coming back, I want to unpack the story from earlier this week with uh, Cooligan talked about with Brett in regards to this dairy in outstate Minnesota. We'll get to that here in a second. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It is the Matt McNeil Show, 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. So um, I want to start off. Okay, we, we talked there, there. The Minnesota reformer, uh, Patrick Cooligan, came on with Brett, and he talked about the story uh, about this dairy, Evergreen Acres Dairy in Morgan Feedlots out in rural Minnesota, where they basically have been stealing millions, millions of dollars, allegedly stealing millions of dollars from their employees. And whether or not you're going to actually see a prosecution of this. And I want to just, I, I've thought about this, and usually when Cooligan chimes in on it, I don't, I don't bring it back up again because it, he did, does a pretty good job, but I, this one just is in the back of my craw. Because this is yesterday, on a completely unrelated story, we had Londrigan, the state patrol officer charged in the shooting death of Ricky Cobb. And the same people that usually come on out and defend, how dare you ever charge a police officer with a crime? They should be able to gun down a nunnery or a kindergarten classroom, and we should just give them a award and say thank you very much because they're cops. They never did anything wrong. That's kind of the mentality. And it's that last line. It's the cops never do anything wrong. Like Derek Chauvin, dude. Now, granted, there are still racist, bigot jackasses who like to sit around and say, well, he didn't do anything wrong. You know, if you watch closely, George Floyd was killed by a meteor that hit him. Stop. Just stop. Stop. Pathetic. You no, know, Derek Chauvin murdered George Floyd. 
and he was convicted of it. Uh, Potter was uh, Dante Wright was you know accident. She thought she had her taser. She had her gun. She shot him. And I said accident. I have zero doubt it was an accident. But at the same time, you killed somebody. There has to be consequences. And when you look at Londrigan and you look at what happened with Ricky Cobb, I mean, it's why was your gun pulled anyway? There was, you, you, there, there were some mistakes here, and undeniably. Now that being said, for those people who want to always do the cops never do anything wrong, people like Paul Gazelka who who was on a rant, the former. I don't know, zygote. I don't, what, what, he's he's, yeah, you know, Casper only wishes he was that white. Dear Lord, um, he basically, you know, he 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 went on his rant about how could you ever do this, dude? Did you read the Department of Justice report on the Minneapolis Police Department? <laughs> okay, because I don't think you did. And once again, I you know, for the most part, the the department kind of took that. And, and took its lumps. So you can sit there and say, "Where? why are you being so judgmental? I don't know. How about the Department of Justice thing? And in the same sense, is it? it is fair to ask the question when that incident does happen, did Ricky Cobb do something that justified him being shot? You, sh- you should take the time. You should do the evaluation. You should do the, you know, what is the other side seeing in this argument? But eventually you come to the reality is that Okay, so if he would have run, you just eventually you pick him up, but he still wouldn't be dead. You pull a gun, the intention is you're going to shoot somebody with it. But it's that double standard which exists that the Republicans like to run around even when we're presented with the 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 study, the report on by the DOJ on the horrific levels of corruption that were occurring under Bob Kroll and other people's reign at the Minneapolis Police Department. And yeah, it was disgusting. It is disturbing. And I've got to, I'll make sure I post the blog post out there because, you know, you guys don't want to talk about that, do you? When I think about this story, and I'm going to read from this story here a little bit here. I want to make sure I, I kind of get this out here. Over the past three years, dairy farmers Keith Schaefer and his daughter Megan Hill stole at least three million dollars from hundreds of their workers across central Minnesota. By the way, that's at least, according to a lawsuit filed by the Attorney General Keith Ellison earlier this month. Schaefer and Hill, who own Evergreen Dairy Acres Dairy in Morgan Feedlots, allegedly shaved 12 to 32 hours off workers' paychecks every two weeks. So basically, 16 hours a week. You you work 16 hours a week, and they cut that pay from your salary. Wow. Refused to pay workers for their first and last week's work and unlawfully deducted rent from their wages for beds in barns, garages, and other structures not suitable for human habitation. Workers were also were, also were not paid overtime premiums on top of their $12 to $15 hourly rate, despite putting in 12-hour days, six to seven days a week, according to Ellison's lawsuit. Boy, I mean, these are allegations, but God, they sound horrible. Absolutely horrible. The story, and this is a Max Nesterak, if I'm not correct, Max, Max Nesterak, uh, who, is, uh, who wrote this. Stealing anything valued at more than $1,000 is a felony in Minnesota, but Schaefer and Hill were not arrested when they were served notice of the lawsuit at their homes in Stern County. 
They haven't been charged with any crimes, although the lawsuit also includes descriptions of Schaefer's physically assaulting and threatening to kill workers, which would be a threat. The case illustrates both the promise and challenges of Minnesota's relatively new wage theft law, which seeks to deter a practice that worker advocates say it's all too common. Asked would there be criminal charges, Ellison said that a possibility but noted county prosecutors have jurisdiction over criminal cases and that the attorney general office can only prosecute charges at their request. Ellison declined to say if he'd referred the case to local law enforcement or prosecutors. I'd like to avoid talking about who I'm coordinating with and how. I don't want to give them any more tip-offs than they're going to get with the announcement of the lawsuit. Evergreen Acres operates 18 facilities across Stearns and Redwood counties. Stern County Attorney Janelle Kendall said her office was unaware of the case until the civil charges were filed. Stearns County Sheriff's Office Captain Joe Lentz said he was also unaware of the case and they were not investigating because there's no one has filed a complaint in the office. That's Stearns County in both of those cases. The Redwood County Sheriff's Office could not confirm or deny the existence of an investigation, and the county attorney did not respond to emails and voicemails seeking comment. So there could be something going on in Redwood. And this is one of the things that Cooligan talked about in, this, in, in the interview with Brett is we don't know if this is be going on here. But I'll, you know, I'll come back to this in a second. Evergreen Acres could not be reached for comment. Phone numbers listed for Evergreen Acres were disconnected. Emails sent to addresses associated with Schaefer were not returned. So. You have people where charges are ready to be trial. A civil trial is ready to be filed here of theft of at least, at least $3 million, allegedly. And yet, look at how intentionally stupid... Janelle Kendall and the Stearns County Sheriff's Office, Captain John Lentz, are acting about one of the biggest employers in our country, one of the wealthiest people in the county. We have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Now, I want to just step back. I'm going to, this is purely a hypothetical. I am just going to go, I'm just going to go way out of limb here. I'm just going to say a hypothetical situation. And I want you to, for, for you to think to yourself, what would happen with the Stearns County Attorney Janelle Kendall or the Stearns County Sheriff's Office Captain John Lentz if this incident took place. Let's say instead of it being uh, the, the owners of one of this large employer in the, the, the city, in the county, let's just say it was, oh, I don't know, a minority man, African-American, Native American, Hispanic. And let's say... It wasn't a felony amount, which was over $1,000. I mean, this was a case of $3 million, allegedly, that they, $3 million they allegedly stole. But let's just call it $10. $10, not even a felony case there. And let's say, as opposed to stealing this from the workers who are keeping your business open, we're not even going to get to the physical threats, the assaults and the threats made. We're not going to get to that. We're just going to go with the theft itself. And instead of basically stealing from the paychecks of your workers, this individual took a $10 bill off the counter of a diner, no gun involved, no crime, just grabbed $10 and hit the door. What do you think in that case with attorney, what do you think the the likelihood would be the response for the Stearns County attorney, Janelle Kendall, and the Stearns County Sheriff's Office Captain John Lentz, 
What do you think their response would be to a minority man taking $10 with no weapon involved off the counter in a diner in their county? I'm going to guess at least 12 squad cars. Lots of quotes in the newspaper. But we take crime seriously in this county. We're going to, there are consequences for your actions. And a county attorney unleashing a bevy of charges against the man because even though it was $10, he broke the sanctity and peace and quality of life of this county. We need to hold him accountable. Right? What do you think would be their response? I'm just, it's hypothetical, you know. Allegedly. What do you think? What do you think their response would be in that scenario? Because I can tell you right now, in most of these counties, if a black man took one penny extra out of the take a penny, leave a penny dish at a gas station, there'd be four squads, guns pulled, everyone lying on the freaking ground outside until we've got some questions that need to be answered. But you have a bunch of people stealing from their own employees. And it sure does look like white power over their minority the minority employees of the company. Three million dollars and these guys they're basically jamming their heads so far up their backside they don't even seem to know what the hell's going on oh i guarantee you well i'm not gonna i can't guarantee anything hypothetical speculation i bet you they've talked with at least the the lawyers for the company they say, you know, come on now, this is Keith Ellison, you know, that guy, the Muslim black attorney general. He's out there, he's trying to he's trying to come into our quality of life in this town and trying to shake things up. You know, are you gonna let him dictate what goes on here? You know, you just these workers, you know what, they just get out of the line sometimes. You know, they're they're saying they worked all these hours. I you know, I we don't have it in our paperwork. I mean, I'm just, once again, hypothetical, just a hypothetical. I just, I'm, what do you think the chances that conversation's happened? What do you think? I think there probably might, might be a chance that that's happened. Might be. Don't you look at me when Ricky Cobb's murderer, patrol officer Londrigan, gets charged with a crime. And look at me and talk about how you, you're a law and order guy, but this is out of control. Because unless you're furious at what's going on out there in Stearns and Redwood County, because my God, think about that for a second. The allegations are $3 million. The allegations include threats. They include jamming people into substandard housing, abuse at an the nth level. That's the allegations. And yet these county attorneys, these county police officers, county sheriffs, I don't have hold my breath that they're going to do a damn thing about it because they're far more concerned about that minority guy. We we heard a report that someone was coming through the county that was was, you know, wasn't one of us. He's trying that in a small town. Let's just just blow that little nugget out of the sky as well, shall we? Try that in a small town. Well, apparently, allegedly, you can steal $3 million from your workers in a small town, and you can try that in a small town, and no one's really going to do anything about it. Apparently, 
that's the allegation. I mean, there might be some charges filed here. Because when, you, when, they, when these people out in these small towns scream, try that in a small town, what that really is is white people telling black people and, and Native American people and Hispanic people, we're watching you. It's the same thing. It's, a, it's the modern equivalent of putting a freaking Confederate general statue up in the town square. Just want to remind you who's really in charge. Like I said, this was a black man taking $10 with no weapon off a, a counter in a diner and running out the door. These same people would talk. They'd be talking about, we're, we're going to throw the book at them. We, we want to make sure this kind of behavior does not happen in our county. We're good people here in Stearns County. We're good people in Redwood County. We are not going to allow this kind of behavior to dictate our quality of life. And we're going to throw all the charges at them. But you're an employer and you steal $3 million from your employees. Well, <laughs> you know, he's just a business owner. Why are you against business owners? Allegedly. I don't know what's going on. But I'm going to tell you right now, you're sure as hell I'm paying attention to this case. And if Stearns and Red Wing County don't prosecute, and it sounds like there is some evidence of a crime happening, I'm going to make sure that you and I become buddies. Real close buddies, too. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. In constant sorrow. I love this song, man. It's such a great version of September from the movie Battle. It is the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Uh, let's go to Todd and Ramsey. Why not? Let's uh, pick him up here before we get too far into the next to- uh, topic here. Uh, Todd, thanks for uh, calling in. Welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. Thanks for taking the call. This uh, my, my comment is concerning the, the trooper that was charged yeah. just a couple of days ago. Uh, if you remember, and you know, I think you have a pretty good memory, Matt, in April of 21, there was a, a 61-year-old white male that uh, got, got upset with some Menards employees in Hutchinson, Minnesota, and grabbed a hammer and a two-by-four and started attacking them. Uh, they, called, they called the local police in Hutchinson because the guy left the building, was in his car, and the Hutchinson police tried to arrest him in the Menards parking lot. He pinned the arm of one of the Hutchinson cops in his window That's right. as he was beating him with a hammer and drove through Hutchinson. And guess what? They never shot him. Nope. They never I shot him. I remember that. Where they, the guy was, the guy, he got the guy stuck in the car and he dragged him down the street, yes. right? Yeah. He stuck him in the, got him stuck in his window because the officer was reaching in to try to shut off the car, just like happened uh, with the case of the trooper, and this guy from Hutch rolled up the window, pinned the officer in, and drove away. And and there were other officers there, and they didn't shoot him. That you know, it's either either better training or or racism that causes one incident, which is virtually exactly the same, to end in death, and the other to end in arrest. Uh, it, it, Todd, thank you very much. For, first of all, thank you very much as well for your your good memory on that 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 story. Um, and I'll apply it to what we're doing here, what we're just talking about with the case. I mean, it, there is this double standard. 
And I'm not joking. I mean, in, in small towns, in a county, in a small county, if a black person stole ten dollars from the counter of a diner and ran out the door, they would they would make a spectacle out of it. How dare you? Not in my town. Try that in a small town. You're going to regret that. Oh, we're going to make throw the book at you. You know, you can you can basically bilk your own employees out of millions of dollars. And I don't know. I just you know. This is me. This would be me charging the white guy against all the Hispanic workers that he hired. I, you know, do I really want to set that standard? I mean, at least that's how I'm taking it. I don't know how to take it. How in the world are you not charging this person with a crime? Because I can tell you right now, stealing three million people from locals is going to hurt your economy a heck of a lot more than someone taking ten dollars from a diner. And I'm not condoning taking ten dollars from a diner. But come on, you can't be this. Your your outrage meter can't be this broken. In the case of of Ka being shot by Londrigan, you pulled the gun, dude. What are you pulling a gun for? He he did not have a gun in his hand. He was not threatening anything. He could have had a nuclear weapon, man. He could have nuked us. Thank God he had his gun drawn. No, no, you don't. You had the guy beating you with a with a hammer out in Worthington or Hutchinson or whatever it was. And you guys, you know, well, it's just a, another, that's crazy old George. We'll just take him on to the jail, let him sleep it off, send him on home. <laughs> that's slight double standard here. But I, where, I, I will say this. I have zero doubt in my mind the reason that gun was pulled is because Ricky Cobb was black. The reason why the guns don't get pulled a lot of the time is because the person's white. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. 952-946-6205. Speaking of Worthington, uh, I said mentioned it. I think he was talking about Hutchinson. Worthington. Worthington journalist car was vandalized following reporting in the southwestern Minnesota newspaper on the school board's controversial decision to remove flags from a high school classroom. The incident left a Worthington Globes employee's car marked with homophobic messages and a side view mirror damaged sometime during the overnight hours of November 28th or 29th, as the newspaper had reported. The Worthington Police Department told the Globe in December that the investigation is inactive, meaning investigators have exhausted all options. Wow. Crack police work there, guys. <laughs> the, uh, this was from Bring Me the News. They reached out to the department on uh, Tuesday to follow up, and the de- Deputy Chief Nate Grimius said there are no updates to provide for the case. The Minnesota Society of Professional Journalists issued the following statement on Monday regarding the targeting of a newspaper employee. The Minnesota Society of Professional Journalists condemns the vandalism of a Worthington Globe employee's car late last year with homophobic messages, which appear to be connected to the paper's reporting on the display of pride flags in public schools. Journalists are instead, yeah, that's right, you know, they're so concerned about, about indoctrination that they're going to have to vandalize. They're going to have to break the law to, to make the law. That's what you have to do. I can just see the, drogl- dr- the drooling troglodyte out there in Worthington that did this. Journalists are essential to American democracy. The school boards to state capitals to Congress must be able to do their work for free from intimidation and harassment in order to keep the public informed. We admire Worthington Globe editor Julie uh, Buncher's commitment to not be swayed by veiled threats nor back down from the covering of an issue that is so obviously important. We support the Worthington Globe newsroom and hope the law enforcement can hold those responsible in this abuse accountable. Leaders, uh, leaders at uh, uh, the uh, Globe believe the incident happened after the employee had attended either a listening session or a school board meeting. So once again, the, the, the journalist had just gone to a listening session or a school board meeting, and they got attacked. 
Globe publisher Jody Harms said in a statement that the safety of employees remains a top priority. She added the outlet will continue to report the news, adding that in her 45 years with the company, she's never had to worry about employees' safety like this. I'm deeply saddened this happened in our small community. Officials at the Globe, along with its parent company, Forum Communications, believe it was related to the ongoing coverage of the Worthington School Board voting in support of removing pride in Puerto Rican flags from a Worthington High School classroom after a student's parent complained in September. <sighs> of course, one complaint, and it's like, hey, well, the, the one white person's upset, but 40 Hispanic people could come to the same school board. It's like, well, it's just a small group of people. I don't think we should be changing anything. But the white, one white person, oh boy, I'll tell you what. Hey, I've lived in small towns. This is what happens. And it is Worthington. Come on, it's on brand. Uh, science teacher Dr. Jose Morales Colazo, who identifies as a gay man with a Puerto Rican heritage, had his flags taken down after it sparked controversy over what could be displayed at the school. Now, mind you, let's, 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 you know, he is putting up flags that represent him a rainbow flag because he's gay. And a Puerto Rican flag because he's Puerto Rican. Underrated food place, by the way. Good food down there. Do you think this person would have been upset if it was a Norwegian flag? Hmm. Let's let's an old chin stroker here. Let's um. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder if the same person would have been hmm bothered. If it was a Norwegian flag, hmm, I'm going to guess no. And they would just, they, as a matter of fact, my guess would have been, they're just showing pride in their heritage. Come on. Gosh, I've got tons of Finnish and Swedish friends. Come on. Who's had a problem with that flag? Exactly. And scene. One of the three flags is the traditional Puerto Rican flag. Uh, the United States Territory, which other banners says everyone is welcome here with colors representing each LGBTQIA plus community. And the third is another flag from Colazo's University in Puerto Rico, where he received a doctorate degree, degree, the Globe reported. So all three of those flags had to be taken down. Superintendent John Langard, G-A-A-R-D, like I said, the Norwegian flag, that's just showing pride in my heritage. He requested Colazo remove the flags from his classroom, citing district policy that only the U.S. flag can be displayed, as mentioned, Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory. Funny story. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Maybe you should, I don't know, go to the school that you're in charge of, you dumbass. <laughs> God. <laughs> Come on. You know, when I read this story, like, oh, the only flags should be our U.S. flags and Minnesota flags. And I was thinking, well, if somebody hung up, let's say, the flag of Wisconsin or the flag of North Dakota, would there be this much objection to that? And I'm like, no, there wouldn't be. No, if, if you put up a, a Finnish flag. And by the way, I don't have any problem with any flag. Put up, put up a Finnish flag. Well, I mean, the Nazi flag and the Confederate flag, you know, the enemies of the United States. I know we'll have to have a refresher course with you guys on the right. Uh, funny story, both of them are horrible. Really, really, really bad. We'll have to get to that a little bit later on. But needless to say, uh, you, want, you want to put up a Swedish flag? Fine. You want to put up a, 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 Switzerland, a Switzerland flag, a Swiss flag? Knock yourself out. I, I could care less. But you see, is the problem is this. I always, I always um, 
what is it? Coast, uh, uh, the Ivory Coast is the Irish flag backwards. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, mean, what, I would love for someone from the Ivory Coast who's teaching to put up the Ivory Coast flag. And when they come in and say, wait a second, what's that flag? I say, oh, I'm Irish. And <laughs> just basically shut them down <laughs> because I guarantee you they would not have a, nearly the problem with that as the Ivory Coast flag. That's kind of the ludicrousness of this. And once again, by the reporting on this story, it was one small-minded, arrogant, jackassian parent who I imagine is, the you know, Newsmax told me what to think. Oh, I can only imagine what they're saying about the, the new Minnesota flag. <laughs> oh. The policy, by the way, was introduced by Langard himself, allowing him to mandate the removal of the flags. That doesn't sound authoritarian at all. Following the decision, Colazzo tenured his resignation effective at the end of the school year. The Globe reported, good luck finding more teachers. The same school district. I guarantee you, Worthington School District next year. Why can't we find teachers that want to work here? I don't know, you closed-minded, arrogant jerks. Uh, maybe it's because you're closed-minded, arrogant jerks, Worthington. <laughs> maybe. Or you let one parent who, yeah, you let one closed-minded parent basically be the deciding factor. Uh, uh, the local news outlet continued to report on District 518 policies and the community's reaction to the debate heightened between school officials, staff, student, and parents. President of the Education Minnesota Worthington, Joni Hansen, told The Globe that the district has lost a wonderful teacher as a result. He worked at the high school for the last four years. Good news, good news, metro area. If you're looking for a, a good teacher here, we got a guy coming out of Worthington. I guarantee you we can get him hired here in the metro. Let's make it happen. Go team, go. The Minnesota Queer Legislators Caucus has provided a statement on Friday calling for the board's decision to remove the flag a shameful act of queer censorship and structural racism. Removing the LGBTQIA2 plus in Puerto Rican flags from Dr. Jose Morales' Colazo's classroom disrespects Latino heritage and echoes the painful 1948 Puerto Rican gag law, a law that made it illegal to display even and possess the Puerto Rican flag. Good going, Worthington School Districts. You are you're continuing the blight. It also erases LGBTQIA2 plus in Latino representation, perpetuating anti-queer and colonial injustices. The school board has ripped away a vital lifeline for marginalized students by silencing Dr. Colazzo and ending his effort to create an inclusive classroom. Educators like him create heavens where uh, havens rather where vulnerable students can find acceptance and support. A precious sanctuary now cruelly erased. We stand with all students and educators against this egregious act of discrimination. Uh, now you're saying to yourself, well, come on, Matt. It's Worthington. It's all white kids anyway, and they're probably all straight because I don't want to be you know, open-minded at all. That's probably what the closed-minded people, maybe even the superintendent's saying. The Sahan Journal previously reported that the Worthington's demographics has changed over the years, and Worthington High School now is majority Latino. The school itself is majority Latino. You have a teacher who appeals to the Latino community, and Whitey's got to shut him down. Worthington isn't the only city in the state that has faced similar debates amongst its residents. Farmington St. Louis Park addressed similar incidences in 2023. It came in a school board election year that took place in a wider ideological battle that has swept across the country, spurred by involvement of conservative-fueled groups basically trying to create a mess. Congratulations, 
Worthington. Now, getting back to the original vandalism, can we pool a bunch of money together? Could we do that? Could we? I wonder if there's some way we could like pool together, like everyone donate twenty five bucks. We get up, we get up to a few thousand dollars. I guarantee, if we offered a reward for whoever did the damage to the journalist's car, you get a few thousand dollars. I guarantee, and someone knows what it is, and I guarantee you, someone needs that money, and I guarantee you, we'd have the the guilty parties pretty quickly. That would be fantastic. Maybe we should do that. Maybe we should. Maybe I'll have to look into that uh, tonight, this weekend. See if there's some way we can do a reward for information. Let's find out who this person is. Worthington, going to let you know, you're, you're punching yourself in the face at this point. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Take a break. Come on back. We'll wrap up the show for a Thursday when we do return. It's the Matt McNeil Show on AM 950. Yeah, I don't know. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It is the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. So uh, Joe Biden was up in Wisconsin, Duluth area. There. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Demander, yeah. Hopefully that uh, ice will uh, not be around too long there. Get that shipping going again. Oh, crepes, yeah. The Blatnick Bridge, they had the big ceremony here. Governor Evers, Governor Walls, both up there as well. And you know who wasn't there? Pete Stauber, who 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 is insisting he was integral. He was integral in the Blatnick Bridge funding, which he voted against, and so he wasn't there. Uh, you know, they, they, they came and talked about this. This is uh, Biden. For decades, people talked about replacing this bridge, but it never got done until today. He told the crowd at the Superior's Earth Rider Brewery, a local favorite within viewing distance of the 65-year-old bridge, 63-year-old bridge, the $1 billion for reconstruction, the largest U.S. Department of Transportation uh, grant ever, according to Amy Klobuchar's office. The Empire Project is expected to cost $1.8 billion. Good news. I mean, it's going to be, it's, it needs to be replaced. Get it done. Um, the thousands of uh, comments uh, I'm online commenters of the White House and the Governor Walls uh, called out GOP Representative Pete Stauber this week for taking credit for the bridge funding, which was part of a package he actually voted against. A post to the White House's ex-account Monday said, POV, you voted against President Biden's bipartisan infrastructure law and you were taking credit for it. Stauber has tried desperately, I mean desperately, to to clean this up and try to say, well, but but once it was funded, even though I called the funding socialism and it would ruin our country – you know, I you know I was I, I was integral in the debate. No, you weren't. No, no, you, they didn't need you. You were you were a rock prop and open a door, dude. So let me explain. Let me explain what what Pete Stauber's what he's actually done. He tried to strangle somebody when they stopped him, and Amy Klobuchar and Tina Smith saved the individual. That's when he said maybe we should call nine one one. And he's acting like, thank God I saved the day when you tried to kill the person in the first place. You cannot claim credit, Pete. Stubby. Stubby. Over here. Stubby. You can't claim credit for it if you tried to kill it, moron. (laughs) Sure, I tried to kill him. Yeah, I was trying. I had him right around the throat until they wrestled me away from him and brought him back to life. But after that, I tried to call 911, so my actions were the most heroic. <laughs> oh, come on, Pete. Thank God for Joe Biden. 
Thank God for Governor Walsh. Thank God for Senator Klobuchar. Thank God for Senator Smith. Because those are the four people, well, and Governor Evers, salute to our Wisconsin brethren over there running that state. Uh, good luck with that, that cesspool. But, you know, hey, we're, we're in heaven over here in Minnesota. Uh, the five of you, bravo, getting it done. Democrats, the DFL delivers once again. And the Blatnick Bridge will, will, will rise and be there for another while until another Republican can vote against the funding and then try to take credit for the bridge later on after they tried to kill it. You know, they're predictable. They're predictable. Native Roots Radio is up next. Uh, Robert Pilot and crew, stick around for that. We are back on a Friday. Have a good one. Until then, see ya.